Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, take your Bible and let's turn to Psalm 127. I've entitled my sermon, The Foundation for the Family. This is a contribution in our family series. It could be a standalone, but it also fits in. Oftentimes, uh, Psalm 127 and 28 are called the bookends of the family, and uh, rightfully so, because uh, thematically they speak uh, to our homes and families and, uh, and so on. So the foundation of the family. Well, useless, useless, what, what a word, yeah, what a terrible thing for a father to tell his son, you're absolutely useless. You know, sticks and stones will break our bones, but names will never hurt us. That's completely untrue, it's just the opposite, although sticks and stones do hurt, and they do cause breakage, um, but we do, ha- we do mend, we do heal. But it's, uh, it's the things that are said to us. It's uh, the names that were called that sometime in the cemetery of our memory, we, we bring those up and remember. And when there are people that are close to us and they tell us, like a dad or a mom, you'll never amount to anything. Those words are like death words, aren't they? They are. Well, useless, Jim Boyce in his writings tells that this is the word that R.C. Sproul hated the most. Hated this word. He writes uh, that R.C. had said he would work hard, even long hours, and forego pleasures or benefits, but not, but not, if it was useless. What's the sense? Why try? I'll stay in bed and sleep another hour or two. Why do it? Well, because if what I do is useless, then R.C. said, then, then I'm useless. Somehow I don't count at all. Useless. Well, yet useless or vanity is what our life is. I'm reminded if we leave God out of the picture. Useless. Empty. Vanity. We did our study in Ecclesiastes. This is a wisdom psalm. And uh, written by Solomon. Incidentally, Solomon only wrote one other psalm in the collection of the psalms, uh, Psalm 72. And so it has a strong overlap to the book of Ecclesiastes, as we'll discover. Well, useless is what our life is if we leave God out of the pictures. It's also true not only for our lives, but it's true for our families and the life of our families. You see, we must build our lives upon the Lord, living with a total and utter dependency upon Him for all things. Unless the Lord blesses our families, our greatest efforts are useless. It's what we're told through the pen of Solomon. Well, as mentioned, Psalm 127 is a wisdom psalm, and it emphasizes the need for God's blessing upon all, all our undertakings. 
without the Lord, frustration. That's a quote. You were to travel, as Faith and I and Jonathan had a joy one day, of going northern Scotland to Edinburgh, or Edinburgh, Scotland. You discover on the gates of that ancient city these very words in the Latin, and they are just that. Without the Lord, frustration, vanity. The opposite, we might say, with the Lord is satisfaction. Well, it's also true, this without the Lord frustration for all who try to live without the Lord. Well, two insights calling us to build our lives, our families upon the Lord. Let's read these five short verses of Psalm 127 and note our text for this morning. Uh, The text begins, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants, let me insert something, he grants even while sleeping to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Well, there are in this uh, brief little family hymn, if you will, a hymn calling for us to build upon the foundation that is proper and right. Two insights calling us to build our lives, our families on the Lord, for we are really totally and utterly dependent upon God for everything. Everything. Now here's a point before we look at the first insight. I just remind you again, the world is filled with everyone who is totally and and utterly dependent on God for everything. It's just that some don't acknowledge it. They conduct their life as if they're God, as if they write their own agenda and have their own schedules and plan and resources and assume today or tomorrow I'll go here or there and it'll be profitable or I'll do this venture. The world is filled with everyone that's totally dependent on the Lord. Most don't recognize it and or acknowledge it and or ask for God's help. And then the remnant, the elect, God's children, the redeemed, who realize, whoa, we really are utterly and totally dependent on God for my next heartbeat, my next breath, for health, for vitality, and we acknowledge it. That's the world. I mean, how many times do I tell you and remind, by way of reminder, we live on a hunk of rock, Well, the crust is rocky, the core is molten, very hot, a lot of iron ore, that's molten lava, we see it with volcanoes. We live on that hunk of rock, blasting at incredible speeds, hung on nothing. Have you taken a close inspection? There's no no ropes or chains holding the earth up. We're just blasting in this elliptical orbit around the sun on this course, and the sun is uh, beautifully 
uh, distanced from the earth by God's prerogative direction control, 93 million miles. Much closer, you'd be burned up. You wouldn't look so good. Further away, we'd all be in ice cubes. This uh, planet that is so unique, it's a geosphere with an atmosphere. It's beautiful. The white planet, the bluish hue, the atmosphere. I mean, men in, his, in their rebellion who reject God and believe in atheistic evolution think, well, certainly there have to be other type places, and we have never found anything anywhere else but here. And in fact, there ought to be a sign up there. You get above the stratosphere, danger, hostile environment. You say, well, there have been astronauts. Yes, that's right. They go up there in their earth bubbles. They drink earth water. And they uh, eat earth food, if, if you can call that food, the stuff they're eating up there, and, uh, and breathe earth air and all that stuff. And they better get back quickly before it runs out. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? It's hostile out there. God has made the earth inhabitable, and he put inhabitants on the earth. It's an amazing place, this place called earth. And it's special. When Jesus left the glory of heaven, he passed by everything else and coming to the earth to be born of the Virgin Mary, Andromeda, Mars, Venus, and he came to earth, the little village at Nazareth. And that amazing incarnation took place. For all and ever settled the question of the dignity and the honor of this place called Earth. And then you and I buzz about on this planet like ants on an anthill. We race here, we race there, down to the Wegmans, down to get gas, all over to work. Now I'm going here, now I'm going there. <laughs> you know? And here we are, right? For three score and ten, maybe. There's a great commercial. I really, really, really love it. Don't like what they're advertising. I've never been a fan of Michigan. Living in Indiana, they used to beat the daylights out of us except for football. Most, or No, football they do. Basketball every year. But it's a great ad. If you've seen it, it's, it begins by saying a beautiful picture, scenery. You have 25,000 mornings. It caught my attention. That's a big maybe, incidentally. It's not, you're not guaranteed that. Don't get mad at God if you get hit by a bus this week. Say, I got 13 and a half, I got ripped off. <laughs> but, you know, maybe. That's it. We are totally and utterly dependent on God. The psalmist reminds us of that. And we do well to acknowledge that and bow the knee and heart to God and thank Him. And ask his help and his blessing. We are puny, small, and frail. Well, the two insights calling us to build our lives, our families upon the Lord. First insight is just the things we do to support our families are all in vain if God is absent from the process. Verses 1 and 2 reminds us of it. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Vain you rise early, staying up late, toiling. I mean, that's your job. That's working for food to eat. 
for you and your family, for he grants sleep even to those he loves. Well, the things we do to support our families are, are, are all in vain if God is absent. For it is possible, I'm reminded, it's possible that uh, God is not building your home, your family, or your business, your work, or your studies. Maybe you, yourself, and I are the total game. It happens. He's saying unless means that some, in fact, in our day, most aren't. Well, A, three times Solomon uses the word vanity in verses 1 and 2. Three times. You can't miss it. Vain, the end of the first phrase. Again, in the second phrase of in vain. And then he begins verse 2, in vain. It's uh, repetition. And it's like the idea, don't miss this. You ever have a teacher that, uh, you know, you're going to have an exam to, uh, next class, next day, or whenever it is, and they emphasize it? You know, I always had good teachers like that, and I'd be like underlining it three times, asterisk, know this backwards and forwards, right, underline, you know, marker. Some of you like to use your marker. Don't miss this. That's the idea. God tells us three times. Why? Because we're off looking at dandelions. So I better tell them again. It's in vain. Better tell them one more time. Don't miss this. Thank you so much for doing it. Don't build your life uh, on, the, on a faulty foundation. Many do. The foundation is the most important thing in a whole building. We, we don't see it once it happens, usually. And the superstructure and the glass and the steel, depending on what kind of building it is, is what we see and admire. But it's the foundation. Is that not right, David? You're an architect. It's the foundation. I don't know what happened with the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Have any of you ever seen that? I suspect they build it on a swamp. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, it's sinking away, leaning over. You get pizza at the bottom floor, but you know you better make sure it's the right day. Foundation's all important. Don't build your life on a faulty foundation, many do. They build it on self, as if they're the be-all, end-all. They'll look in the mirror and they congratulate, aren't I brilliant, aren't I handsome, aren't I lucky, aren't I... Please, please. Many do that. They build it on money. Man, oh man, I got uh, a trust fund, or boy, I've invested well, or this or that. If you looked at your 401s or 3s lately, they're 201s. <laughs> they blow away, and the government's spending money like it's a printing press company, and I fear that inflation is going to come around the corner. Be careful on that. It can blow away. Your abilities. Well, I'm, I'm great at what I do. Boy, aren't I something. You could breathe a bug. I don't know why we call it a bug. Doc, why do we call it bug? I don't always say that. <laughs> I hope it's not a bug. But you won't even get out of bed tomorrow in the rest of your days. It's not your education. Get all these things are okay in their place, please. I got a lot of friends, my family. Don't build your family. These are okay in their place. They're important. But it's not the foundation. That's what God is telling us here. Well, B, Solomon tells that success depends on more than hard work and honest endeavor. The unseen and all-important thing is that God must bless what we do. And the psalmist is going to tell us in three ways. First way, 
is in the building of our house for our family. It's useless without God. Now, a house is a dwelling place, and in the Jewish mindset of that day, it uh, was never divorced from the thought of, it's for a family. That's why this is a family psalm, and rightfully so. You didn't build a house and, and then just live in it typically by yourself, how lonely that is, and some do that and live that way. My mom lives in a house after my father built, a smaller copcade, copcade, Cape Cod, a maintenance-free home on the same parcel of land that uh, the homestead was on, the big home, and, but she's there by herself. But that's unusual. It's a home is built for a family. And that's what he's saying here. If you attempt to build that, build that for your family, how practical it's useless without God. It's vain. Second, he says, if you attempt to provide security and safety for your family, forget it. It's useless without God in the picture. Don't leave God out of the pictures. In the old days, the walls, that's this idea of the walls of a city. Some of you have traveled to Europe and you've seen some of the the old ancient walls that were part of the smaller ancient city of the modern city that has this, uh, uh, flooded out and beyond those gates, but that wall was security and protection. I've had the joy of, uh, of seeing many times, I'd like to see it one more time, uh, the city of Jerusalem and the ancient walls there. They're beautiful. And uh, actually, in those days, they used to run for working out and and uh, for a number of times that we've been, we used to uh, run around the ancient city with our, with our Nikes on and, and all of that. Uh, the ancient walls, they provide, they represent security and protection. And a city in that day, uh, it was made of family units. And so you have the home that protect the family. You have the city, which, are, uh, which it was a city-state or a large city in a nation, was, was filled with dwellings that filled families. And so it was security ultimately for a family. Don't try and do that, uh, leaving God out of the picture. Incidentally, you cannot protect yourself 24-7. You cannot do it. You say, well, I'm going to be real careful. You say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to protect, uh, you know, as I go along. I'm going to be always watching, always caring, always looking, always making sure my loved ones, and impossible. You cannot do it. And anyway, you're going to sleep here in time. You're going to get tired, and your eyes are shut. In any ways, you could step off the curb and get hit by a bus, and the game is over. And the board goes away, and that's it. You can't do it. You must have God's protection and provision for the safety upon yourself, your loved ones, your family. Finally, the third example, three, even if you attempt to spend long hours working to provide for your families, that's this whole idea here in vain. You rise up early. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m., and I'm going to go in early to the shop, to the office, uh, to the field, to wherever, to the school. I'm going to stay there late. Everyone's going home. I'm going to keep working overtime. I'm going to toil. Toil means working with exertion to the point of tears almost, sweat, 
for food and everything else to eat, to provide for my family. That's, that's the idea of the psalm here. Well, if you do that, we are told that it's with vanity. Even if you double your efforts early to late, if you do that with no thought of needing God's help in the matter, that's vanity. Scarcely giving yourself time to even sit down. But if you do that without God, God's help and blessing, it's useless. It's empty. It's vain. Well, industrious and hard-working people like most of us who enjoy good health and strength, we especially need this lesson. This is pretty well a hard-working area. It's not like some areas. Hard-working, it's the ethnic background, I think, in a lot, though the older folks say it's changing. I suppose maybe every generation said that, but maybe it is true, it is changing. But a people that work hard and deny themselves and they're there early and work hard late and careful with finances and, you know, and enjoy a measure of health, we can easily succumb to thinking that we're bigger than what we really are. I grew up in a home like that. My dad was worked very hard and then some and work, work, work. And if you get heart problems, you take your pills and you keep work, work, work. You know, you work, you work. That's why you live, you work. Well, you tend to live longer if you work. But life is not built upon that only. Now, I think we work hard and we do our very best. In fact, uh, Jen, let's show Colossians 3. 23 and 24, do we have that on the board? I mean, we're, we're talking about doing that. Did we get that or no? Maybe we, we missed that. Danny, do we have Yeah, here it is. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. In verse 24, did we get that? Okay. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you're serving when you work. So, we're to work and we're to be diligent. Imagine the Lord growing up in a stepfather's shop there doing shoddy work. I can't imagine it. Never happened. You know, a carpenter was uh, also worked with stone. And uh, when he said, you know, come after me, my yoke is easy. I'm sure he made plenty of yoke, take a beam, hand hew the thing. I don't think that it was shoddy. I think it was done well. Uh, to the glory of God. And whatever we do, we ought to work at it that way and be conscientious. We represent the Lord Christ. We do it for Him. Whether our boss has their eye on us or not, we don't work for Him ultimately anyway. We work for, uh, or for her, but we work ultimately for the Lord Jesus. And we ought to be done with distinction. But in and through that all, we work because uh, with a holy sense of dependency upon God. So do it all as if it all depends on you, but realize, <laughs> no, it doesn't. Really, in the mixing, it's ultimately and finally upon God that I depend for all of that. And we need that message, being industrious and hardworking people. Peter needed that. Remember Peter? He was a great fisherman. Sea of Galilee, and I imagine the scene as we've crossed it in boats and read the scripture at points. 
fished all night. And I fished, and there have been times when I didn't catch a fish, but I'm not a professional, professional fisherman. And he fished all night, and the Lord says to him, Peter, Peter, drop the net on the other side. There it is. They fished all night, and see, he comes in, and he says to the Lord, and he, it's a registered complaint, Lord, I fished all night and, and caught zilch. I, I mean, I know the Sarah, I know fishing. I know it. I'm talented. I have ability. I have history. I have experience. Here's my resume. Zilcho. Drop it on the other side. Mm. Well, Lord, nevertheless. Uh, it's like your kids. Go back and clean the room. Uh, nevertheless, at your, at your word, I'll drop it on the other side. Like, you're a carpenter. You don't know anything about the sea and fishing. Well, he learned that everything is ultimately and totally dependent on the Lord. And he drew a draft of fish so large, uh, it was about to sink his, his ship there, his, his boat on the Sea of Galilee. Wow, our labors. You know, God himself works. He works. He made the creation. He works in and with and through us. That's what he's saying here. The, unless the Lord builds, building is work. Uh, providing security and protection, that's work. And working in and through our labors to his purposes. Wow, we'll see. If the Lord is invited to help, he becomes, an act, he becomes active helping us even while we're sleeping. Now, notice a change, and feel free to put this in your Bible, because the Hebrew is, is, is difficult and fragmented at this point. But I think Leopold, the, uh, the, he's now in heaven, is right in his writings when he puts it this way, for he grants, and put a little carrot there, for he grants, and it should be, even while sleeping to those he loves. I think that is the right sense here of what he is trying to say. The verse is better read, oh, I have it on it. He grants even while sleeping to those he loves. Now, sleep is a great thing. Don't you love sleep? How many of you take a Sunday afternoon sleep? A siesta. Don't you love that? Siesta. How many of you do that? Three of us? Five, eight? There's some more going up. Okay. All right. There you go. Yeah. Is sleep great or what? Amen. I know. I used to dive into bed at night, and one of the sweet joys of being married is sleeping next to my wife, and I would, like, jump in bed I'm still a kid. I know it's hard to imagine. And faith, I always get upset. I just I felt so good to jump in there and just get under and just be exhausted and sleep. It's, a, it's such a wonderful thing. And if you have periods of your life where you cannot find sleep, and those are very, very difficult things, you realize what a sweet gift sleep is. It's a time for the body to regenerate. Uh, and you're dreaming, your mind is actually taking the trash out. I dream some whoppers and some, I wake up completely befuddled. Sometimes I wake up in a panic thinking I've got an exam or something, I'm going to flunk out, and I hit the floor thinking I've got to run the class. Anyone like that? Am I the only one? I still feel that sometimes. 
under the gun of that. Do you, Rob? Yeah, so sometimes that happens. Sweep is a great thing. He's not talking about sweep here. As great as it is, and at times I've asked the Lord to give me sweep, he's not talking about granting of sweep. He's talking about building your life on the Lord, finding his blessing and his favor. And the idea here is, is that after we have done our very best and we lay down to sleep, and he gives that to us, he works behind the scenes when our hand is not actively upon anything that we've been working hard at in a providential sense to bring about favor, blessing, and help. Now, to the best of my ability, that's what he is saying in the end of verse 2. And it is a great thing for you and I to embrace and to get a hold of. So whether we're students or whether we're in business or whether we're in athletics and, and, and top competition or, or whatever it is, raising our families. We do the very best that we can, then we just lay down and rest and we invite God to, to bring about his purpose and his blessing in ways we didn't even participate in because we were down for the count during the sleep. Well, the Lord gives us help to our activity at a time when our participation is ruled out. He works behind the scenes while we are disengaged from the process of sleeping. Wow, what a great thing. Well, that's, that's what he is saying. The first insight, the things we do to support our families are vain if God is absent from the process. But there is a second insight calling us to build our lives, our families on the Lord, verses 3, 4, and 5. And these are some of the best-known verses in the Bible. Uh, we discover that the second insight, our children, are a specific example of God's blessing in life. Children are a gift of God, a heritage. They're a reward. Look at verses 3, 4, and 5. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from Him, like Arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They'll not be put to shame, and they contend with their enemies in the gate. Well, A, God builds the house, and then he builds the family to live in it. He guards the city and raises up families to live in it. The growth of the family is God's work. Family, the whole idea Though it seems messy at point in a fallen, sinful world, and it is, isn't it? It is a bit messy. Some of you have said, oh my, oh me, oh my. <laughs> my mom, my dad, my brother, my children, my blah, 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 blah. You know, is it messy? You're all looking like you live in a perfect family. Maybe it's... <laughs> Somebody in our family was always on the outs. That's the way they described it. Somebody's in the doghouse. My sisters never were. They were always just perfect, it seemed. My mother dealt with them, I don't know when, but uh, it was not the public display of discipline that <laughs> the boys in our family got. Uh, but it's the best thing going. It's messy. It's God's idea. Genesis 1, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Man, oh man, that's happened, hasn't it? Well, be children, as every parent knows, are not made by man. 
I mean, it's a, it is an amazing process. The whole thing is fraught with mystery, wonder, and awe of the providence of God. I mean, at the uh, time where uh, a husband and wife will express physically the unity, the beauty of, uh, of unity, sexuality, the oneness of life and soul, and in the midst of that, not always, but uh, bit by bit, uh, a child is conceived. It's pretty rare, too. They talk about the possibilities of that happening, the female cycle and, and just the right time and, and, and uh, in, in all of that. I know as a pastor in counseling couples that the numbers go like this. If you have all the world, if there are five couples, three of them typically do not have problems conceiving a child. One of those five couples... Uh, eventually can conceive, but with great difficulty. And, and uh, one of uh, the five couples cannot, for whatever and all reasons. And uh, they just can't. It, it, it is an amazing process. And yet, God's providential hand is a bit and a part of all of that. Children are not merely the product of virility and fertility, but they are God's gift. They're God's gift. They're his heritage, his reward. Can we call it? Will you let me? <laughs> They're the ultimate homework assignment. Don't you love homework? Teacher, do we have homework? We love the teachers that never gave it to us, but then we didn't do as well in the national scores. <laughs> no homework. Yay, you're the best. Kids are a long homework project. You know what? And I, I've learned they, it doesn't end at 18. Have you noticed that, some of you? How come we're, we're way past that, you know? Dad, uh, send money. <laughs> I need help. What do you think? <laughs> it never ends. It, does it end? Somebody tell me if it ends. Some of you have, Ron, you're our elder statesman. Does it ever end? No, there it is. There's the final word. And we just celebrated Ron's 85th birthday. So there you go. God's ultimate homework assignment, even if they live in a different state. Right, Ron? That's the way that works. Well, what's that, Jim? I'm sorry? Oh, he does, I know. Oh, I know. We should all. I'll never see that. See, or see here? No. Well, look, one, uh, under B, uh, children uh, are, are a token of His grace, both those that are naturally born as well as the ones God gives us through adoption. Children are a reward, despite the attitude today that sees them as expendable. What a horrible day we live in with that. The horror, the abortion-killing mills. God forgive us. Over 40 million babies aborted in the home of the free and the brave. Terrible, terrible thing for selfish, utterly selfish reasons, just about all of them. Pray for that. Pray that God would save people and change their heart. We don't need politician, political action group. We need more people to come to know the Lord and have a new nature, a new heart, and realize that children are God's blessing and they're not expendable. They're God's blessing. Only a fallen God-forsaken, hell-bent world could take what God says is a blessing 
and turn it into an expendable commodity. Trash that which is wonderful. And three, we must thank God for our families and look to Him for wisdom to raise them rightly. Oh, God, help. I'm telling you, it takes wisdom. The wisdom of Solomon at points to try and figure things out. I know as a dad, it's, it takes wisdom. Sometimes the problems are so naughty and so, I don't know if I should cut the baby in half, you know, that thing with Solomon, or what do we do here, you know? <laughs> Trying to find out and help and be a blessing. Oh, Lord, help us. Help our men to be godly, mature, men of wisdom. Help our, our, our ladies who are mothers and grandmothers to be filled with wisdom. Well, see, God's blessing on the city, that is, the country and the old city-states and cities that were part of bigger nations, it begins, of course, with this blessing on the family, which is the single most important unit in society. Not the school, it's not the football team, it's certainly not the government. It's the family. The family is all important. And the family needs God's blessing, his wisdom, his help. It is all important. Uh, the old expression, as the family goes, so goes the nation. And that's the way it is. I found an article that was written a number of years ago by a man, Ed Hayes. And he writes, and I'll just read it. It's not a few paragraphs. Um, he writes, Mom, Dad, your kids are older now, way older. Once upon a time, and a jolly time it was, three little boys lived in a house with their parents. That's... Uh, that's you, Mom and Dad. We weren't wealthy, not by any means. Sure, it was a two-story house, but added up to only three bedrooms, an attic, and a half-bathroom. No tub, remember? We bathed in the kitchen in wash tubs, one person at a time, naturally, one after the other. <laughs> the attic was converted into a, a bedroom for us boys, and it was a playground during the blitz of Midwestern winters. We lived under your roof in that happy house 10 years. And on the same block with grandma and cousin and other relatives, plus a bonus of youngsters to keep the turnstiles twirling. And on school nights, the neighborhood went dark at night except for those yellow gas-lit street lamps. Oh, we didn't move out by choice. The Great Depression had dug in, loads of folks in the same boat. Actually, you were blessed, Dad bringing home weekly paychecks throughout those thin days, although not quite hefty enough to meet the monthly house payments. How long, Mom, did the scent of your pork roast and dumplings and pastries linger on those walls after we left? It was the only house our family ever owned or tried to buy. We rented flats after that. Never had a dining room, but who needed one? When company came, there was always room for two more at the kitchen table. Spacious or tight, it was still our family's place. Our home, snugly, as a freshly washed blanket. You were there, Mom and Dad. You were there, tucking us in. Oh, yes, and life went on. A few tears, a barrel of laughs, tough love that never lost bloom. Two years apart, we boys graduated from grammar school, and my big brother, the retired railroad executive, is still remembered for the $10 prize he pocketed during graduation, class of 35, for best deportment. He also had the best curveball in the city. He lettered in high school, and everybody said the kid was going places. 
The United States went to war, and he spent the next six years in the Navy. Soon, Mom, you had three flags hanging in the front window. I was drafted into the Army and shipped to ship post-haste to the South Pacific. Next, the darling boy of your trio, bound for professional singing career, first had to cruise the frozen North Atlantic on a Coast Guard patrol frigate. Heroes? Nah, not us. We did our parts, that's all. We came home. We embraced you. We blubbered a bit. We went to work. We picked out wives, reared families. We cried again, bitterly, when you died at 62, Dad, and Mom, five years later. Now, the reason for this open prayer today, in case you haven't, uh, in case you up there have overlooked the date, your baby son is about to turn 80. Yes, your three little boys, all in their 80s now. Please don't forget us, oh, Mom and, oh, and Mom and Dad, thanks for loving each other and giving us a family. Yeah, family's God's idea. That's a great little clip. I appreciate that when I read that and cut that out of the newspaper. It's his idea. It's his blessing when he blesses the family. The family is neglected and declines. The entire society will de decline with it. Oh, we need God's family, his blessing. Well, D, our children become our helpers. This is a wonderful ending to this psalm. They become our helpers. That is, if we have them early enough in life, and we don't die before they grow up, they become our helpers. Isn't that interesting? They help us. Look what he writes. Blessed, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, sons born in one's youth. You've got to be younger. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They'll not be put to shame. Here it is. When they contend with their, there's a commonality there between mom and dad and their children, their enemies, their opposers at the city gate. Well, they become our helpers. Our children are likened to arrows in the hand. Arrows. A lot of you are into hunting, central South Central Pennsylvania, we're big hunting area. And I heard that already mentioned. Jerry talked about turkey season coming. Now, I don't think you don't hunt turkeys with bows, do you? Maybe you do. You do, Rob? Yeah? Yeah, but an arrow, if you're good, yeah. An arrow in the hand doesn't help you get the gobbler in the bush, does it? You got to launch it. And but when you hold that in your hand, the, the potential to really make impact. I mean, assume you have a sharp head on that thing. is great, right? That's what your children are. They're, the potentiality of your children is great. Like a warrior holding arrows that will soon be launched. As you raise them, you launch them. And each one of them have different gifts and abilities, don't they? I marvel at that. The same set of parents can have children that are alike, there's commonality, but can have so many differences by God's design and purpose and plan. I look in my, my own family with uh, Faithy and I, with our three children. God gave us Sarah, David, and Jonathan. And they're all Zabalskis. There's a commonality 
think the Lord sort of looks like her mama, you know, and the boys, they look sort of like me. I'm glad for that. And uh, their gifts and abilities, some are a mixture and some are, where did they get that from? Two out of three are left-handed. You know, when Sarah came along, I was really concerned about that. You know, your first one, you want to do everything perfect, raising your children, right? You read all the books and everyone else goofed up, but you're going to do it right. And that poor, poor firstborn, that's why they become the policemen in time if the others come. They're like directing traffic with all the other ones that by the fourth or fifth or tenth, you know, you just, ah, they'll grow up. Who cares, you know? <laughs> but we, we went to the pediatrician when Sarah said, we, I, we've noticed she's using her left hand a lot. Doctor, and, we're, and he said, well, and Dr. Stos was the pediatrician. looked up and he said, yeah? And I said, well, you know, Doc, it's a right-handed world. You know, 90% of folks are right-handed and and then I noticed he's writing on his sheet with his left hand. <laughs> and I, you know, that conversation ended. But her abilities at, at, in, in so many areas, just marvelous. So I, I don't know where they, they came from the Lord. And to launch her and to, to see her now with her husband and, 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 and girls uh, is a thrill. Uh, to see her pouring into the hearts of, of uh, her little girls, God's Word, uh, every day. I just bless the Lord for that. Little Taylor's just turned two. In another week, that two-year-old will know the 23rd Psalm. And some of you don't even learn the monthly verses. Shame on you. Little Taylor, I should have her when she comes in June, recite it. Now, she was toying with her grandfather when I was practicing with her the other week. The Lord is my shepherd, you know. She was inserting Batman. The Lord is my Batman. And, and her mother did, didn't quite hear that, but then heard it, and oh boy, there was deep trouble. <laughs> the, Grandpa thought it was kind of funny, actually. <laughs> Well, I didn't dare laugh too much because Mama was dead serious about that. And you know what? Praise God for that. Her gifts and ability. Then David came along, and you all, everybody loves David, you know. But very different from Sarah. He has his own gifts and ability. He has his mama's sensitivity. He can walk into a room. And I don't know, he's got faith, he's sensitive. He can zero in and know that person's hurting over there. I'd be like oblivious to it. And it's a special, sensitive gift that God has given him. You know that, right, Jim? It's just uh, you want to protect him because he has such an innocency. The world is rough and will run over him, you know. And I'm always talking to him about lift your weights and work out and do these things. You've got to do what you can because the bus is coming. He could get, get run over, you know. And then Jonathan, he makes us laugh. His sense of humor, he still makes me laugh. He'll say the funniest things, his gifts and music. He's another left-handed. Loves people like faith. You know, I tell people, every people put up with me because they love my wife. And people think, well, that's fine. I said, no, there's more truth in that than otherwise. But she's got his love for people. He can live for people all the time. Work is kind of an inconvenience, you know. you got and uh, his abilities with academics and whatnot, all different. 
There's a commonality, but they're different. And you launch them, and they go in different directions. It's amazing how that is. Some struggle with academics. Some it comes easy. Some are athletic in their prowess and abilities, and others couldn't string a bow and arrow. You know, they're different. And by God's design, just like the snowflakes and your fingerprints, and it's not an accident. It's marvelous when you think of it. How, how boring it would be if they were all the same, wouldn't it? All the same. Oh, that is, it really is marvelous. They're arrows to be launched. It's no wonder. Well, each one of them seems to be launched in a different direction. I want to make sure you get that blank. Two, no wonder the parents who have a full quiver, and that may be one, that may be a half a dozen. There's that family, uh, Greg, my son-in-law, knows them in, in Arkansas. They've been on TV, what, 18 children? Have you seen that? Have you seen that? Nobody? Seen that? 18, same mama and dad. And she's still able to walk. It's amazing. I can't imagine that. And they look, they're like a, a godly family, love the Lord, and wow. Wow, that is, three was full for us. Well, a full quiver. For these children, now grown, can stand by dad and mom, sons and daughters, and provide for them a defense in life. Enemies. Enemies at the gate, the text says in verse 5. At the city gate. What in the world is that? It means that's where the place where court was conducted. Someone's going to sue you, bring a civil case, maybe threaten criminal charges. That's where they conducted uh, court, at the city gate. It was, uh, it was the great public place in the ancient day. It is also a place, as you can imagine, of mercantile. They were the malls of that day. <laughs> And some of you have walked in. There's, there's all the displays, all the, all the trinkets you can buy, the jewelries, the Indian jewelry, everything, the clothing, the shoes. They were the, the malls and all of that. So that was your, the great public forum of ancient day. And, and here it is, dad or mom. Um, maybe they're more aged, maybe not, but the children are now adults and they're able to stand Next to dad, next to mom, she stands next to mom, and they provide a common defense. And I have needed that. And to see my adult children stand and surround and support, <laughs> to see that residual of blessing, uh, and to draw strength from my children. It's funny, we kind of wither as time goes on. Have you noticed that? We become like raisins. I like raisins, actually. But we become like that, and we can't get around like we once could, right? Get a little bit of a something in the hip or the knee or this or that. Uh, you, you know, and we, Dobson said it so well, right? The, uh, the daughter becomes the mother becomes the daughter. There's a role reversal that takes place, and it does. I remember when Faithy's dad called me in the last four years that he lived, he said, he was asking me, now Pop was 78, and he was asking me if he could buy a car. And I said, what do you mean, Pop? I said, A, you shouldn't be driving. And he couldn't drive the grandkids around for the last 10 years. With his heart pills, he'd fall asleep at the red lights, 
and I, I had to talk to Pop. I said, you would feel horrible if you had an accident and the grandkids got hurt, wouldn't you? You'd never forgive you. He said, I would rather die myself. I said, okay. This is what we're going to do, Pop. I, I'm, we'll drive. Faith will drive. I'll, you know, something else. You, you can't run down to the ice cream shop with the grandkids, you know, and buy them Hershey bars. <laughs> we'll go. He loved doing that kind of stuff. And, he, and Pop called and asked, can he buy it? He's asking me. And, uh, and so uh, he didn't really have that much money, so the kids pull, pulled in, and we, and we, we bought Pop a, a car. And he was telling me, he said, I think this will be the last car I have, and, and, uh, and so on. So we did. We, we bought that. And you see what I mean? The boy becomes the dad becomes the boy. If you live long enough, it tends to go that way. It does. We lean on our children. And blessed, oh, blessed is the man or woman that has a, a full quiver. These stand and with and for you, and how wonderful this is. How wonderful, wonderful. My mother, if you could bring her here sometime. She's stuck up in Buffalo. But uh, she often will say with uh, half the kids now living up there that it's her life. And, uh, and those that are near care for her. And my brother just redid her bathroom. And the year before, redid her bedroom. And, you know, make sure the grass is cut and the limbs are cut down and this snow is shoveled and the windows are clean and everything and everything. And the other takes care, pays all her real estate taxes. And, I mean, that's some of the benefit of having seven kids. And she poured her life into her family, you know. And we've never forgotten that. We take care of her. Uh, with my dad exiting so many years earlier, standing with her. You see, that's God's design. You know, somebody said rather crudely, I put diapers on you at the beginning and turn about is fair play on the other end, you know. And we know what that means. And so we thank the Lord for that so much, for his idea of family. Well, it's the Lord that we're ultimately and totally dependent on. Our children are one flaming example illustrating just that. Not only the fact that they are given to us, how that all comes about, and then the joy and blessing and fullness that they are. There are struggles in raising them. There are struggles later. There are. I'm not painting some rose picture here, but the blessing that comes to us more often than not is overwhelming. It's not ourselves, it's not our money, our resources. I forgot to mention, it's like the t-shirt that said on the front, he who dies with the most toys wins. But on the back, you know what the back of the t-shirt said? But he dies nevertheless. That's not bad, I like that. Well, they have strong young men and young women who support and prevent the opposition from taking advantage as it could occur if one is standing alone such as the blessing and benefit of children in old age. So E, finally, build your family upon the foundation of God. Never, never, never attempt to raise your children without Him. So how do we do that? Daily pray for them. Pray for your children. Pray for them. Dads, pray for them. Cover them. That used to be an old expression in the church. I've covered my family with my prayers today. Do that every day. I pray for my children, my granddaughters, my wife, my family. I pray for you. I almost all of you by name this morning. 
I cover you with my prayers. Pray for God's Word to find inroads in your heart and in mine. It doesn't happen. We might as well stay home. Pray. Cover them with your prayers. Second, teach them God's Word. means that you and I must be growing. You and I must grow to understand the Word as we daily take it into our lives. Daily. Three, take them to church. Never figure that out. Well, I ask my kids, do you want to go to church? Hey, I would never have gone to church. I'd gone down to, down to the host restaurant. In fact, I used to sneak out and do that sometimes. My mother would drop me off. We were growing in those days as a church. Didn't have rooms. We met down the street a block in the guy's house with the senior high guys. <laughs> and they let, let us, my mom would let us off and then swing back, go to Sunday school. And uh, a couple of times, my brother and I say, hey, eh, let's go down and get some French toast. You know, and then we'll, we'll catch mom for worship. Oh, she found out about that one day. You know? <laughs> that was the last time I ate French toast instead of going to Sunday school. <laughs> anyway, I never, never forgot. Well, kids, let's take a poll. Do you want to go to church today? Are you kidding me? They're sinners like you. We live in a world that doesn't, doesn't encourage godliness and holiness and salvation and love for the Lord. Hey, give me a break. Stay indoors if that's the common sense you lack. You know, it's dangerous out there. You lead them. You take them. You encourage them. You do whatever you have to do. When my kids were little, I used to sing a little song. We used to be at Faith Baptist Church in Indiana, I'd sing to the kids when they were, yeah, everybody loves to go to Sunday school at Faithy's Baptist Church. Oh, Dad, that's not the name of it, they would say. You know, they're just, just to lead the way. Isn't it great? This is the greatest thing. And you know what? My kids, by God's grace alone, doesn't always happen, and God's not done working in the lives of our children. I realize that, and it's really unusual. One is in Wisconsin, and Today he may be in two or three church services, and one's in Indiana, and he's in service, and one's in Georgia, you know, in church. And dad can't check up on him. And it's not over. And some of you have heartbreaks and issues, and keep praying. God hears your prayers. He, it may be your death that brings them to their knees. Be encouraged by that. God is great. And finally, and most importantly of all, live as an example for your children. Listen, don't claim to know Christ and live otherwise. Your kids will be ruined. I read something recently that the, uh, if you do that, that's called acting or hypocrisy, right? You go through the motions, but it's not really there. Putting the, putting the mask on. Listen, love the Lord with everything in you. Do otherwise. Live as a hypocrite. Your kids know. And the next generation, according to the article, they're atheists. They see through it, and they won't even darken the church. Oh, I've seen there, I've been there, I've done that. It's not for me. Don't do it. Live it. Pour these things. Impress Deuteronomy. Impress these truths upon the hearts of your children. If you do this, God will bless, and he'll bless your children. Lessons for our life, and will be done. Number one. First lesson, the foundation for all of life is Jesus. You must be saved. Come today to know Christ the Lord as your Savior from your sin. You must begin. He's the cornerstone, the foundation, 
He is all, he is everything. He is almighty God. He came meek and humbly, but he is king of kings and lord of lords now. Don't be confused. He's not effeminate. He is almighty God. Number two, we are so puny and frail, and we are. We need God's help and blessing in everything, every single thing. Don't, uh, don't kid yourself. Don't be like Peter. Lord, I can handle this. I've been, I'm a fisherman. I'm a professional. Don't you like that, people? I want a professional. No, even Peter needed that. He needed to learn that he's ultimately and totally and always dependent on the Lord. Number three, your prayer life. Now, get this. I really think this is true. Your prayer life may be the best indicator of your dependency on the Lord. Are you praying? Or to pray without ceasing. I think it's the best, you know, in your car engine, you have a dipstick. You dip it in and you, oh, I'm down a half a quart. Boy, it's a good measurement, right? I think our prayer life is probably the best practical measuring stick. Am I really depending on the Lord for all things? You begin the day with prayer, read the Word, pray, Lord, help me, bless me, cover your family. I need your prayers, the church, daily. Pray, begin to pray. Ask the Lord to forgive you if you have not been developing in your, your prayer life. and Begin to do that. Just open a little notebook. Put down your children's names your loved ones, and write down under their names different things you can pray for. And pray that way and meet. Make that your appointment time with God. It probably is, and it will turn out to be one of your best points of the day. I promise you that. It has for me. I don't let anything distract. I don't take any cell phones into my time of prayer. You know, we're easily distracted. I shut my eyes. I kneel. If not, I'll be looking out the window at the Tweety birds and say, you know, we're so easily distracted. Go into your room, shut the door, and pray according to the text. Number four, commit your life, your marriage, your children, your work, your studies, your whole, if you're single, you're so, continuously to the Lord. Do that. Lord, I'm yours. You're my foundation. You're my everything. I need your help. And number five and last, remember all of life's securities and blessings are God's gifts rather than merely from your own achievements. They're all God's gifts. All of them. All of them. And we ought to acknowledge that. We ought to look for that. We ought to pray for that. And we ought to thank God for that. Well, that's the foundation for the family. That's God's word to us today. May the Lord bless you. And as you leave this place and serve him with all your heart, pray for each other, love each other deeply from the heart, be salt and light. Share the gospel with people that you meet. They need the Lord. And come back again next week. We'll look forward to our study and God's wonderful word. Shall we pray?